PassionPod 71, no less. Hello, you fine human being. Hope you're really, really good and thank you very much for lending us your ears. It is nothing but a pleasure. A super enthusiastic passion pod for you this week. If this doesn't make your imagination get excited just a little bit, just get a tiny twitch of excitement, then I'm a bit worried for your soul because this lady sure knows how to conjure up excitement when I was chatting to her anyway. Uh, She is a children's author. Her name is Abby and her stories, she's actually written a trilogy as her first sort of foray, although I say first... This lady ain't no stranger to rejection, but she has now got to where she is with three books that are stuffed full of the most amazing adventures. Uh, She actually sweetly gave me a copy, which I have not been able to put down, which is slightly embarrassing on a tube because it is a children's book. But you know, in absence of having kids of my own, this is what I'm resorted to. That's my excuse anyway. So loads of good energy coming from this one and loads of really good advice as well. She's been there, she's done it and has some really kind of refreshing advice um, about how to approach all of these kind of things so abby you're listening to passion pod 71 with abby elphinston right abby children's author yeah i mean this is a crazy (laughs) it's such an unusual unusual thing how how do you well let's start with your books tell me in a nutshell what the ideas behind your books like you know what the stories are roughly what the story is so i've got a trilogy out and the dream snatcher the first book is out now and it's an adventure set in the forest with witch doctors catapults and tree ghouls and it follows the adventures of a romany gypsy girl deep in the forest as she battles against a sort of dark magic which is a kind of witch doctor um and there's an ancient prophecy kind of read out in the oracle bones like a bit like runes you know you find yeah. it. did you ever see that film stardust oh i know exactly yeah and yeah. they chuck the ancient runes and yeah. a, a sort of special message is read out and then the sequel the shadow keeper comes out next february and that's still the romany gypsies and it's now they're living as outlaws in caves down by the sea so there's smugglers and mer creatures and cliff jumps and kayaks and the third book has no name. It is called Book Three. <laughs> so I'm needing a name. And um, it's set up in the northern wilderness, which is basically my take on Scotland, where I grew up, with mountains and lochs and selkies. It just makes me want to like go and immerse myself in them now. <laughs> Are we allowed to read them as adults? Yeah, I'm going to sign that one for you. <laughs> yes. So did you have the idea for the whole trilogy then, initially? Kind of. I'd always, I'd loved trilogies when I was little. I loved series. Um, I loved Northern Lights by Philip Pullman and Subtle Knife and Amber Spyglass. And I think I wanted to write an adventure that would span different settings. Um, And I, I loved writing about the forest. I think something about trees that is so magical. But after a while, I was like, I actually want the adventure to sort of grow and the story to become a bit bolder and bigger. And the, the books have got maps in the front of them. And I quite liked as a kid sort of following my finger along a map and then like watching the world grow. I didn't start with an idea for all three books in terms of plot. I just started with three settings. I was like, I know I want to do forest. I know I want to do sea and I know I want to do mountains. Oh, and like then tick all the boxes. Yeah, exactly. And then, <laughs> then put some characters and storylines in it. That's a really interesting way to approach it though, isn't it? Is that quite unusual? Yeah. Well, I don't know what sort of most authors do. I think everyone does something slightly differently. A lot of people say they start with a character, like it just arrives fully formed. Um, I tend to start with a sort of, a setting and a sort of premise which is that I love writing about children or characters who don't live in houses. So the first trilogy is all about Romany gypsies. Um, the second series is going to be set in the Arctic and I'm off to live in Greenland in an igloo next year. Oh my God, what's um, part of the research? Yeah. Oh my, <laughs> that's like serious dedication. Yeah, well it's, it's really fun because you come back with a whole, a whole experience that 
makes the books I think a lot more real and like any amount of sort of I don't know Wikipediaing can tell you that the Arctic is full of ice I think but when you're out there and you actually feel a sort of like shield of ice or snow on your face or I went last week I know two weeks ago to Mongolia to live with the eagle hunters oh my and God. I'd seen that like Wikipedia it said that you could um what was it the Mongols chewed on larch sap if they were hungry a bit like chewing gum but then when you're out there you actually taste the larch sap and it's like it's kind of like chewing on Christmas it's it's so sweet it's like cloves and no amount of sort of googling can tell you that so it's quite fun to kind of go out and live the book oh my god say that again like have those experiences just generally Mm. anyway like yeah and when I do lots of I do loads of like festivals and talks at schools and when you arrive with like a a wolf tooth and a catapult that you've carved and Sort of photos of you with a golden eagle riding into the hills. The kids it's are like kind of... a different world. I'm like, what planet is this? But it's amazing to think that it's, it's all here, isn't it? It's just yeah. actually having the access to go out and, and experience yeah. it. Because people, some of the kids, they look at the photos and they think it's almost like a, a fantasy world. And I say, no, 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 this is our world. And I think because of the amount of screens we've got, like you know, with social media and looking down at Facebook and iPads and Instagram you kind of get sucked into looking down but then if you look up and out and you go out and have an adventure I think there is so much magic sort of in the world and so many stories waiting to be written um and you don't have to go to Mongolia to find them you I can mean, read your book darling <laughs> you can read that no. I mean, you can go to Scotland go I mean I show one photo which is 10 minutes off the motorway outside London and it's this like jungle it looks like the Amazon and I say to the kids what country do you think that is and they're all like oh the Amazon you know oh the, you know the rainforest I'm like no, it's it's ten minutes off the M25. It's and, so crazy. Yeah, getting them to sort of relate to their surroundings and realise that actually our world is brimming with with stories. You know, waiting for people like them to write them. Um, but so take take us back. Like, what is your background? How did you come to writing? Have you always written, or what? Yeah, what was your um, sort of journey to this point? So. I grew up in Scotland, in the middle of nowhere, and I spent a lot of my childhood like scrambling over the moors and looking for eagles' iries with my dad and jumping into lochs. So it was quite outdoorsy childhood. Um, I read a lot, but not huge, huge amounts. I wasn't like a complete bookworm, you know. I wasn't writing reams and reams of stories. I was more, I think, just sort of living them. I was just out having adventures, and the stories would be playing over in my head. And then I I loved English at school. Um, I read it at university, but I I lost a lot of confidence at uni. I think I'd gone from like a school in Scotland where I was quite good at English and quite sporty. And then suddenly I went down to Bristol and I definitely wasn't the cleverest. If if anything, I was probably the thickest in my kind of year group. I'm slightly dyslexic. So I really struggled with the workload and getting organized. And I just thought, oh God, I hate all this. You know, I'm really not interested in this anymore. And I went into marketing and PR for two years after um Okay, so something completely different. Yeah, um, and then realised I was also crap at that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then when I was doing that, I started thinking, what do you actually like? And I thought, I like telling stories and reading stories, um, and I like travelling. Um, and I went out to Africa, and I taught English out there, because my mum said, look, I think you'd be a great teacher. And so I went out to Africa and I taught English. Mums are always right. They are, though. Mums are always right. And she right. was a teacher, so I was like, shut up, Mum. She, uh, <laughs> she's just telling me to lure me in. Yeah, exactly. they do know. They do know. And she did say, you know, do that and write a book at the same time. And so I wrote a book out in Africa. And I thought I was writing, like, an absolute bestseller. I was like, woohoo, this is my, like, my career sorted. And then I went back to the UK and I submitted that book to 30 agents, literary agents. And it got rejected by every single one. Um, but weirdly, the first agent that rejected me said, 
there's something about your narrative voice, like the way you tell stories that's exciting and that you made me laugh out loud and no one's done that for a while. And then she said, like, that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah, like little things that sort of made me think, well, okay, maybe this isn't a very good book, but maybe there's something there that I've got. And so I taught for five years and I wrote another two books. They back also, in England, you were teaching. Back in England, yep, came back to England. Um, and that was a lot more hardcore in terms of teaching. I kind of finished marking at about eight at night and then I write from nine until 11 or something. Did you find you had to be really disciplined then about yeah, that? Yeah, really dif- disciplined and kind of, I think my book got the dregs of my creativity. Like I was so busy giving all my energy to the kids at school and trying to come up with these exciting lessons and getting the marking done and all that sort of stuff. You didn't actually, have anything left. There wasn't much left. And so, again, the, the two books that followed got rejected and I got 96 rejections from agents in total. So hang on, you're on to the third book and mm. you're still going. Well, I wrote three, yeah. And then was just like, right, this is ridiculous. Like, I feel, because I kept nearly getting there with the agents. They were like, there's something here, but it's not this book. So it was enough to kind of, because I was going to mm. say, in those situations, I'd imagine you'd also think like, uh, oh my God, uh, what I'm yeah. interested in, how you continued that, how you found I the think, energy to carry on. I think... I had a like a lovely group of people around me. I had a really supportive um, boyfriend at the time and a really supportive family and close friends who were like, I don't, they didn't disparage me and they didn't sort of laugh at me. They treated it seriously. Even though I don't think I did really, I was a bit sort of embarrassed about it and would sort of play it down and be like, yeah, I'm writing a book, but it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's so often the case though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but then they kept saying, keep going. And I think there was a certain level of conviction because of the positive comments. And I kept all the positive comments. I printed them out and put them in a box. Amazing. And I was like, I'm evidence. Quite, yeah, evidence. <laughs> and I'm quite a determined person. So I was like, if these people are saying this, there's a reason for it. And I just so strongly believe that anything creative involves a lot of failing along the way. And having failed so spectacularly, I learned so much. I mean, if I debuted with the other books, maybe a publisher would have picked them up and maybe they would have sold the odd few. But this is selling thousands now and it's it's so exciting. and It's so worth waiting. Yeah, and it makes you more humble. It makes you more appreciative because... This was hard and I have so much respect for anybody who keeps going no matter how many times they're rejected and yeah I think it makes you appreciate other people's efforts when they're writing and you're kind of like go you know keep going yeah. or darling you, know. you write camp here spend yeah. our lives like yeah you're doing a brilliant thing don't yeah. stop and um, if you're but if you're willing I think there's a really important thing to say at that point though is sometimes I think people just think I'll just keep trying with the same sort of product maybe maybe book but I think you've actually got to think right something isn't working here so there's something you've got to slightly adapt or you've got to take criticism you've got to understand that your work isn't good enough to be published therefore it needs to be reworked and so I think going on that basis thinking right there's something here that's good but I've got to rework it so yeah. talk about that I think that's amazing advice tell us how mm. that kind of fitted in with that process then for you after you'd done the third one what amendments did what you t- kind of tweak so I'd kind of been writing books that I thought would sell or would sort of slip into the marketplace. Um, a David Walliams is huge right now, so I had a go at writing this like kind of really light-hearted kind of British comedy. It was totally rubbish. It was it was just like terrible. Or not your voice. Yeah, it I wasn't guess. my voice at all. No, not my voice. And um, I thought, okay, what am I good at? I was like, I'm good at adventures and the outdoor world, and I know how a you know Yellowhammer sings and you know Siskins. I know when they kind of pick up seeds under birch trees. And I was like, I know that kind of stuff. But a lot of us don't know. Yeah, even that <laughs> makes me be like, that's amazing. I don't even know what a Yellowhammer is. <laughs> like, but that's such a yeah. thing that you wouldn't probably sort of think is different. Yeah, exactly. Or I just more thought, unusual. Oh, no one wants that. And then I thought, actually, when I was little, all I wanted to do was live in a den in the woods. 
And so I was like, I'm going to write about children or characters that don't live inside. And I think that has been a real hook for kids because nearly every single one of us have built a den outside or in a house with a, you know, two chairs upturned with a blanket, blanket over the top. Yeah. And well, babe, it's been a while, yeah. but I remember <laughs> them. Been a while. <laughs> but yeah, so I just kind of thought, I'll write a book that only I can write and... I'll just pour everything at it. So I went and met one of the last real Romany gypsies deep in the forest in Hampshire and I spent time carving wooden flowers and making catapults with him. And I kind of, I researched it properly. I spent time with wildcats in the sanctuary in the New Forest and watched them prowl and eat and hunt. So at that time, were you still working as a teacher or did you take more time to spend on it at that point? So I worked out that I wanted to write a book about characters outside and Romany gypsies when I was teaching. And then I said to my head of department and my headmistress I want to leave and write a book and I don't feel that I can do this book unless I leave and I just give myself some time brave and they said you're being really naive (laughs) Um, they were like you know have you really thought about this and I was like yes (laughs) and I haven't really but wow but I quit the job and I tutored for a long time and that gave me more than enough money to support myself and it gave me more than enough time you know I sat down and I gave the story room to breathe and the characters to grow and it worked and I ran workshops in schools and I still had that connection you know with schools and kids which I loved um but I mean I take my hat off to anyone who can pour themselves into a book and teach GCSE and A-level English that, that it's just so difficult and people do it but maybe because I'm dyslexic and I find it quite difficult when my ideas first come to me so the plot is really tangled and I have to spend a lot of time mapping it. Unpicking it all. Yeah. 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 Oh, but it's so amazing thinking of that process. It's weird, isn't it? It's amazing. I have like all over my... I've got a writing shed in the garden. I say garden, but it's London. It's like a sort of square <laughs> metre. But it has a desk in it. And it's just filled with, like, charts and... Oh, but I'd quite like to just go and sit in your writing shed. Yeah. And I just sit still and look around. It'd we should have done the interview there. Yeah. I just sort of sat there. My, my new recording studio. Exactly. Darling, one thing I wouldn't mind talking about, actually, is um, I guess what I'm always in interested in with writers is how you manage to be disciplined with your time Mm. Um, and now obviously you're doing it full time yeah do you have any sort of like hints and tips about how you sort of approach the writing Mm. that you do I think if you are going to write you've got to have a sort of inbuilt sense of kind of get up and go you've got to be self-motivated I think self-motivated I'm not the kind of person that would get up and watch tv all day I just it's just not in my sort of DNA or whatever it is. I just, I, I would feel really kind of tetchy and like, Bleh. but I mean, my husband gets up at 6.15 to go to work and I just get up then with him. Because oh, if, well done. But if I don't, the books don't get written and it yes. nothing happens. And I think with writing a book, the more you put in directly, the more you get out. So if I get up and write for a whole day, then I know that, and let's say there's an hour spare in the afternoon, then I can maybe... Um, send some emails off to booksellers or whoever or set up some events and the more you do the more I guess books you sell but they just everything turns more so when you're self-employed you kind of think well if I don't get up then whatever I mean I don't think you need to get up at 6.15 but <laughs> I just seem to be so busy that I have to but so much yeah. to do and yeah. also it's a good I guess it's a routine it kind of gets mm. you into a kind of rhythm yeah and you've got to like I guess spending time on your own because I do my, my husband's a real people person he loves having people around the whole time um, but I'm I'm quite happy just chilling out in my hut and writing and it doesn't bother me that I'm having lunch alone. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I'll get to the end of a sort of week and think, I haven't seen anyone. And I mean, I'll I'll have seen kids and I'll have seen booksellers and lovely people like that, but I haven't seen maybe my friends and my family and I think, right, you know, get yourself out. (laughs) Quick change. Yeah, it's a double-edged thing. You've got to to make yourself go and see people because it can be quite lonely, but 
it is a job I think for people who are motivated and who can handle being on their own but you can get shared office space I guess but um, I think for writing sometimes you want the quiet and shared office space would be like can I borrow your sellotape you're like I'm on chapter three shut up <laughs> please don't breathe near yeah. me I have <laughs> a whole book to write yeah <laughs> Um, so what have you found um, has been the most challenging thing, do you think, about, you know, making this decision? Um, you're putting yourself out emotionally on a huge line. I mean, you're opening yourself up and saying, here, journalists, here, world, here's a story that I've written and I care about and you can trash it if you want. <laughs> and, yeah. oh, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So really tough. it's scary and you have days where you think I'm awful I can't string a sentence together and the words don't come but then you have days where you're typing so fast that you can't keep up and and it's about remaining level-headed and keeping a sense of perspective and keeping your original dream in sight so I have to remind myself that my dream was to get a book published I know and here we are sitting with your book published and your second like was it called draft Um, yeah the proof copy has just come through like even I find this exciting, sitting here yeah. with you and seeing your name on it. It's, it's weird, like, yeah. But oh. you have to remi- remind yourself that that's what you set out to do because your goalposts change and you start thinking, I want to be listed for some like mega award that I never even knew existed before I wrote this. That stuff is all secondary. Like, What is important is that you set out to write a story and that story is in a bookshop now. And that's really cool. That's <laughs> really, really cool. <laughs> thinking, about, like, thinking back... Doing all the things that I did, all the career routes, you know, the PR, the school, whatever. So Steve Jobs apparently said, you can't connect the dots going forward. You can only connect them going back. And when I was, you know, doing PR and marketing, I had a very inspirational boss and she taught me a lot about that world. And though I didn't belong in it, I learned some invaluable skills. And at the time, I couldn't really see the point to me or my life or what I was doing. And looking back, as I now do my own book, I'm PRing it and marketing it and sending it out there and and the teaching as well. And looking back on all that, it's now equipped me with skills to go and stand up in front of 500 children and talk about adventures and books. So I don't think you can write off careers that you perhaps didn't enjoy. I think they teach you a lot. Yeah, you can see how it all maps in. It's mm. so interesting. I never heard that quote no. before. It makes complete sense. I might have made it up. I have a tendency to like misquote people. Well, cheers, beginnings Steve. of proverbs. <laughs> yeah. I think we should just quote it ourselves. Yeah. Emily Chiswell once she said. said. To me. <laughs> yeah. um, so tell me if you were to give advice to someone, what advice or what advice do you wish you'd been given? Do you think? I wish at school that. I'd been given more positive advice when I said, I'm quite excited about being... Oh, no, I said, I want to be a journalist. um, Or I want to... I said I want to present Blue Peter. And I still quite want to do that at some stage. Um, We'll we'll put it out there, girl. We'll spread, we'll tweet them. Or an adventure programme with Bear Grylls or Leveson Wood. The the two are... You ain't fussy. No, I'm not fussy. (laughs) Um, But, um, yeah, so... I wish I'd been told, go for it early on, and not, you know, the teachers said, oh, it's very competitive. It's not much money in that. I was like, well, you know, there wasn't much money in PR and I did that and it was stressful and I didn't enjoy it. So I wish I'd been told early on at school, go for things. Um, And the advice I'd give um, is that if you do have a small shred of conviction inside you that you could be good at something, then adjust your skill set if it's not quite working and sort of make yourself follow through with it. Like you can earn money other ways that aren't sort of like regimented kind of like agreed courses. You can tutor, run workshops, whatever. Um, and it is possible, I think, to do it. Um, well, it is because you're yeah. sitting, here, <laughs> sitting here with your big book and yeah. having done it. So it's so yeah. inspiring to hear it. It's just, Aww. it's yeah. amazing. It's funny talking about it, even cause, just because the sequel proof arrived today and I thought I'd be a bit used to it all. I thought, oh, you know, it's another book. And then I just held it and thought, 
there's another book. <laughs> and it, it's weird that you, you think maybe there's one story inside me. And then when you're faced with suddenly two books, you think, no, there are more. <laughs> I can keep doing this, you know. And I can do it. It's like my living. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When it starts being a real proper thing. And I guess kind of another thing that's kind of worth saying is that half of me is really surprised this is happening. Like I'm sort of blinking at my books and thinking, oh my gosh, this is a real thing. It's like a dream come true. And then the other half of me is is not surprised in a way because I've worked so flipping hard. So I kind of think that if you do work hard, then you are owed something and that hopefully it will come round. So a lot of people, I think, think with children's books, it's this sort of fairy tale story, you know, and that, oh, how lovely, you know, everything worked out, but... It won't happen for me. So. Yeah, yeah, but it was really bleak during the rejections and it's still sometimes really tough. And, you know, I'm going all around the country to loads and loads of different places the whole time um sometimes free of charge sometimes charging and it's very very tiring you have to summon up so much energy to promote the books and to get children most more importantly get children enthused in writing um so I think yeah it is it is like a dream come true but it's it's a hard won dream and I think that's important for people starting out to do their own thing to hear Definitely, and realise that it's not just something that, you know, it's not yeah, that just, just waltzed happened. on into. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a really, another really good quote, who I'm going to misquote by whoever it is. <laughs> so, Leonardo da Vinci, not Leonardo DiCaprio, as I quoted him in another interview recently. Oh, babes, that's much, that's much just, more fun. Yeah. No, Leonardo da Vinci said, um, rarely do people of accomplishment sit back and let things happen to them. They go out and happen to things. So I kind of have this motto in myself, it's like, go happen. And then things happen, but you have to instigate them in the first place. You've been listening to Passion Pod 71 with Abby Elphinstone. There's some good nuggets in there, aren't there? Thank you very much, Abby, for lending us those nuggets. We will be sharing them on our Twitter, by the way, at Passion Pods. We tweet a bit of a nugget from each of our podcasts so that you have a dollop of advice on your Twitter feed every day, at least one. Uh, so make sure you're following us on that. And if you like this and you fancy a few more of them, we're on iTunes. Get on there, subscribe, leave us a review if you fancy as well. Be super grateful. Also, while we're talking about all of that kind of jazz, um, if you haven't signed up for our newsletter, we do a monthly newsletter, uh, once a month, unsurprisingly, uh, where we just summarise all the ones that we've done in the month. And so if you fancy getting involved in that, head to our website, passionpods.co.uk, little bar, you just sign up to the newsletter. It ain't complicated. Next week, I can't believe I'm actually going to be making this happen because it has been so long in the pipeline. I am talking to a sportswear designer. Really, really excited about chatting to her so keep your ears peeled for that next week in the meantime have a fantabulous one look forward to catching up then